morning we're going to cover Nehemiah chapters 6 and 7. Now, if you are, uh, if you've paid attention, 7 has like 73 verses or something like that. Um, we are not going to read all the way through there. In fact, in 7, we're primarily going to focus on verses 1 and 2. Uh, as, we, as we near the end, uh, we are... The plan is to wrap up Nehemiah at the end of April, and so uh, we're, we're going to cover a couple of chapters each Sunday between now and, and then. And this morning we're really focusing on um, their, their work on the wall as they near completion on the wall. And as there are some enemies who are trying to distract and, and even, um, even deceive uh, the, the workers because as we've seen before, these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, are, are, are enemies of the Jews. They're, they're not real big fans of what, what God's doing through uh, Nehemiah and his workers. And so they are trying to, they're trying to throw it off. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to see that even in the midst of opposition, as we've seen, that's been kind of a key theme throughout Nehemiah. Even in the midst of opposition, uh, God's call to us is not to... Uh, take our eyes off the, the work at hand and begin focusing on detractors, but rather stay the course in the work of the gospel. And that's where we're going. So if you will follow along with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, I'm going to read, right now I'm going to read down through verse 9. So if you will follow along with me, Nehemiah chapter 6, going down through verse 9. I tell you what, let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ano Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. It was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf. There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are, inviting, you are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying, they will drop their hands from the work, and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Thank you for the word that you've given to us. We pray that you will use it to speak to us this morning. As we look at Nehemiah and the work that he had to build, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, will you show us the work that we have in the gospel? Help us to stay the course even when the enemy attacks. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you. You can have a seat. So, so even as they are focusing on the work here, we see a couple of uh, we see a couple of times that the enemy tries to come in. The first thing the enemy tries to do is is the enemy will distract from the work if he can. The enemy will distract 
from the work. So as Nehemiah is nearing the completion of the wall, in fact, he says that, that there was not a gap left in it. The only thing that was remaining was the doors. So he's getting close to finishing it. And, and these guys, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, come to, to try and distract. And so they, they come to him and they just say, hey, we, we'd like to meet with you. We'd, we'd just like to get together and talk, talk about some uh, yeah, talk about some stuff. That's what we want to do. So come on. And Nehemiah says, absolutely not. You've already threatened me with bodily harm. You've been trying to, you've been trying to throw our work off, off track since the very beginning. I'm not falling for this. But, but listen, they don't give up, right? So it says four times they sent the same message. Come, let's meet together. Then it says that they sent a... They sent an open letter. So, so I, the, the way I see that, and this is kind of like the, uh, um, the 4th century B.C. version of Facebook, right? So they sent, a, they sent an open letter out. And the, the plan is that that letter is going to be read in, in, the, in the presence of everybody. And it says here, listen, listen to some of these rumors that, he, that he's talking about here. He says... Um, says, we've heard, that, we've heard that you are going to become their king. In fact, we, we've even heard that you've set up some prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on their behalf, there is a king in Judah. Now, you, you, might, you, you might be aware that part of what they're saying is correct. In fact, there is a king in Judah. In fact, God had promised David that one of his descendants would remain on his throne forever. And then, and then if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, um, the people rebel against God, and, and God says, stop rebelling, or bad things will happen. And, and, and maybe like we're prone to do, they think, oh, well, but God is love. He wouldn't really do that. And so God sends, for, for Judah, he sends the Babylonians in and, and carries off most people to Babylon. And so now here, here they are, they're, they're living in their home. Some, some Jews are still living in their home, but it's occupied by an outside force. The Babylonians are occupying. And so here you have, you have uh, Nehemiah who's, who's being told, listen, we, 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 we know what your game is, Nehemiah. We, we think that you have, we think you've set up some prophets who are, who are declaring that you will be king. In fact, it's even been said there's a king in Judah. Now we know, and, and I don't know, Isaiah had spoken these words several hundred years before. And so you, the, the people would, would be familiar with this. And so when, when, when Sanballat is declaring there, there's a king in Judah, I wonder if the people went to Isaiah's prophecy. You'll, you'll be familiar with this. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But you're, you're familiar with these words. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. Don't you love it when the enemies end up declaring the gospel, and they don't know they're declaring the gospel? Love that. So, so they're trying to deceive Nehemiah, trying to strike some fear into him. They're trying to distract him from, from the work at hand. And it's not working. 
Why? Because Nehemiah understood who his God was. He understood his identity in God, and he knew his calling. He knew the work to which he'd been called. This is what Matthew tells us. Actually, what Jesus tells us in Matthew. He says, don't be afraid of them. Since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Look here. Don't fear those who can kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So they're trying to distract Nehemiah with this fear. And Nehemiah says, absolutely not. I'm confident in my God and I'm confident in my calling. Are you confident in Christ Jesus? And are you confident in your calling as a holy, loved, forgiven child of God? Well, that didn't work, right? So distracting him didn't work. Trying to get him to come meet with them didn't work. So so then the enemy's second strategy here is that we see the enemy will deceive in the work. So, so their, their jig is up, right? So, I mean, they're, they're, Sanballat and Tobiah, like, at this point, they, they realize, all right, Nehemiah's not going to meet with us, so, so here's what we'll do. We'll send somebody else to meet with him, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to him that way. So they send this guy, um, Shemaiah. I, I, just, I just mispronounced his name. Maybe that's an insult to him. That's okay. I'll, I'll mispronounce his name. Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was restricted to his house. This is in verse 10. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. Hey, well, all your workers are working. Uh, why don't you come and let's hang out at church? Here's why. Because they're coming to kill you. So, so Nehemiah, you stop leading the people. And uh, come, come to church. Come on. Let's come worship. Let's just hang out together. I'll protect you. Now, Nehemiah has an insight into what's going on here. So if you look at verse 11, he said, Should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. So why don't you take a break? Come on. It's all right. You, you, don't, really need to be, you don't really need to be out there doing that. Come, come hang out with me. Nehemiah recognizes that because he's trying to distract him, trying to take him away from the work, trying to seek to deceive him. He understands that it's not from God, it's from his enemies. So, so here's what this looks like in, in our lives. Oh, it's not that bad. I can take one look at this, right? It's not, it's not going to do that much harm. Oh, come on, you, you can come to this party. Why, you, don't, you don't have to hang out with those holy rollers all the time. You don't have to be around the church folks all the time. Just, just come out with us. Come, come hang out with us. Nehemiah says, he was hired so that I would be intimidated. Do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. Now, now listen, as we shift from Nehemiah's enemies to our 
enemy, which, by the way, is not your neighbor. It's not your coworker. Depending on where you work, your, your real enemy is not your boss. We have one enemy, and this is his strategy. This is, what, this is what Peter tells us about our enemy, the devil. He says, be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for anyone he can devour. Looking for anyone he can devour. Now, I think I've used this before. Um, there's a difference between a lion and your house cat. Now, maybe you're not a cat person, so you think all cats are evil, but as, as, someone, as someone who owns a dog and two cats, let's just talk, okay? Um, um, a house cat, most house cats, most house cats are gentle. They're, 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 they're cuddly, right? That's why you get them, because they're soft, and you pet them, and they purr. We let them in. Maybe, maybe you're one of those creatures who, lets, who will let in any stray cat that comes to your door. Like, sure, I'll feed you, give you milk, sure, come on in. And they'll sit on you and, and, and they'll pet you. Now, now listen, we have stray cats that run all over our neighborhood. Um, I, don't, I don't shield my kids from that, but, but, but listen here. If there was a lion on the loose in our community, we would react very differently. We're not opening our door to let the lion come in and sleep on our couch. And yet, how often do we treat our enemy, Satan, like he's a house cat? Maybe I'm not going to let him sleep in the bed with me, but, but he, can come, he can come hang out on my couch. When, when Peter says, listen, he's a lion looking for anyone he can devour. Our, our enemy has a strategy, and it, and it hasn't changed. It's the same. Jesus told us about it in John 10.10. He said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He'll steal, he'll kill, destroy your reputation. He'll steal, he'll kill, he'll destroy your life as you know it. And how often are we opening up the door and letting him in? Nehemiah says, no, 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 I, I, know, I, know, the, I know the strategy here. You want to intimidate me? You want to discredit me? You want to ruin my reputation among the people that I'm not having? I'm not even going to meet with you. I'm not even going to let you in the door. If that's the way he treated his human enemies, how, how much should we treat our spiritual enemy the same way? Say, absolutely not. You're not getting a foot in the door. So what do we do then with people who, who come against us? Because at times, as a believer in Christ, you're going to have people who just don't like you. And maybe even times people who are trying to discredit you and, and attack you, much like um, Sinbal and Tobiah were doing to Nehemiah. Now, as I've said, they're not our ultimate enemy, right? So, so other people, we, we, we always need to keep in mind that, that that person is someone created by God, loved by God, a soul for whom God sent Christ to die in their place. And who, more than anything else, need to repent of sin and turn to Christ Jesus. That's, that's, that's the way we, we, re, we react to other people. That's the way we treat other people. 
But at the same time here, so, so Nehemiah has these enemies, and, and in verse 14, we see that he does not react to them. He doesn't respond to them. He doesn't lash out against them. Instead, he takes them to God, and he says this, verse 14, My God remembered Tobiah and Sandal for what they have done, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. Look at his self-restraint here. Now, we're going to see later on in the book, I think I talked about this last week too, Nehemiah has a pretty volatile temper. Where in chapter 13, he's going to drag some guys out into the street by their hair and beat them with rods. Okay? It's an awesome scene. I love it. I'm so excited. So, church discipline. Let's, let's get on now. But listen, here he shows some restraint, right? He says, he says God, you deal with them. Why? Because I'm focused on your work. Because you have a task for me to accomplish. And, and, and if... If I turn aside and begin dealing with them, that's exactly what they want. Because it's going to slow us down. So, so, so listen here, folks. The enemy... The enemy can distract us at times. The enemy can deceive us. He'll certainly try. Even if he's not successful, he will try. But, but stand firm on this promise. The enemy cannot destroy the work of God. Cannot destroy the work of God. So look with me here at verse 15. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. Now, I think I mentioned this before, but just think about this for a second. Fourth century BC, he arrives in Jerusalem. The wall that surrounds the entire city is in ruins. It's, it's utterly destroyed. And in 52 days, they, they rebuild it. You guys remember when they were working on the street out here? When the city of Alan Roberto was working on the street? They had our street torn up for six months. Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. Why? Because the people of God came together unified for a task. To, to not only protect their city, that's what we focused on a lot here, not only protect their city, but to declare the glory of their God through their work. The enemy cannot destroy the work. Look at verse 16. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence. For they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. When's the last time your work preached the gospel to somebody? When somebody looks at what, what, what's been accomplished in you and through you and says, uh, listen, I knew you before, there's no other explanation for where you are today, for who you are today, than that God has done this work in you. I believe that's what, that's what God wants to declare through First Baptist Church. You know, the last five, six years have not been real good here. And yet I believe there's going to come a day where we look at what God has done in this place with this body of people. And we say there's no other explanation than God has his hand on this church. Because we're so great? No. No. Because Kyle is such a dynamic preacher. Well, yes, but no, no, no. No, because, because of what God can do when his people surrender to him. Amen. 
Now let's think about this real quick in light of how the early church responded when times got tough. So, so let's recap. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, um, right after Jesus ascends into heaven, all the believers are gathered in one place, and we're told that they numbered about 120. There were about 120 believers gathered together. Now some people would look at that and, and say, man, what a dismal failure. Christ walked with some of these people day in and day out for three years. He ended up giving his life on their behalf. And all he had to show for that was 120 people hiding together in a room because they're scared to death about what's going to happen. And then we see the Holy Spirit following them on the day of Pentecost. And people look at him and say, man, well, I don't know what's going on with you guys. I don't know what's up. Maybe, maybe they're drunk. And Peter stands up and he starts preaching. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. Can, can you imagine going from 120 to 3,000? What do you do with them all? Acts 2 tells us, in fact, some of that growth brings issues, like in Acts chapter 6 where uh, some of the ladies start getting into a, into a squabble. That leads to the first deacons being raised. And not only that, but the end of chapter 2 says that not only were there 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost, but chapter 2, verse 47 says the Lord added to their number every day the people who were being saved. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we're told that the number of men came to about 5,000. Men, men alone. So we're talking here a matter of weeks, maybe a matter of months. Churches exploded from 120 huddling in a house and scared to death to now 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And then chapter 7 hits with the stoning of Stephen, the first believer, the first follower of Christ to give their lives publicly for the sake of Jesus Christ. See, they thought, the, the Jews thought they were stopping this little movement called the way. Thought they were going to end it. And yet, look with me on your outline in Acts chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Saul, however, who will later go on, by the way, to be not only saved by Christ Jesus, but to become the greatest missionary the world has ever seen and write half the New Testament, the most influential Christian, the most influential follower of Christ in history, but before that, he's doing this. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, put them in prison. And so what happens? The believers scatter. Verse 4, so those who were scattered went on their way, running in fear, afraid to talk about this Jesus guy. No. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the message of good news. They're running for their life because they declare Jesus is Lord. They're being persecuted because of their faith in Christ Jesus. And what do they do? They, they run. They run for their life. They don't, they don't decide to put up a fight. They run for their life, but they preach as they go. I love this. Adrian Rogers, um, longtime Southern Baptist preacher, says this, listen to this, a church will either evangelize or it will fossilize, but it will not stand still. 
A church will either evangelize or it will fossilize. It will not stand still. Do we believe that the enemy cannot destroy the work of God? And do we live like we believe the enemy cannot destroy the work of God? Because here's the last thing that we see in, in chapter 7. We see that the worker of God, the worker will declare the glory of God. Beginning in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It said, when the wall had been rebuilt and I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. Then look here. Then I appointed my brother Hanani in charge of Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, commander of the fortress, because he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I appointed him because he feared God more than most. He would lead the people to fear God. And as we will see next week, revival breaks out in Jerusalem. Repentance breaks out in Jerusalem. This place that had been destroyed by the enemies of God and looked like it was done for has been resurrected and been brought back to life by God working in and through his people. This is why 1 Samuel 12.24 declares, Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. So, so listen, do we have work to do as believers? Absolutely. We have been given a clear command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And actually, the way it's translated in our English Bibles is, is kind of unfortunate. Because it sounds like we got to, when it says go, that sounds like he's adding something to our already long list of, of things. But actually, in the Greek, that, that word should actually be translated as you're going. So you're on your way to work, right? As you're going to work, make disciples of all nations. As you're going to school. As you're going to stand in line for 30 minutes at Walmart, make disciples. <laughs> we have work to do. We've been given command. But listen, don't miss the one for whom we work. Don't miss the opportunity to fellowship with Christ Jesus because we're so busy doing his work. So let me wrap up. We, we have an enemy. He's strong. He's cunning. He's pretty smart. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy God's work whenever possible. However, we can press on knowing that even if he's successful in killing our bodies, even if he steal kills, destroys our lives on this earth. The work doesn't stop there. The work of the early church didn't stop when Stephen died. It didn't stop when Paul started throwing folks into prison. The work exploded because of the persecution. Because the enemy was attacking. 
we have a great promise. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says this, I, I, I say to you that you are Peter. The, the word that he uses there is the word for a pebble. You, you, Peter, you're just, you're just a little pebble. Now the Catholic Church is going to say, Jesus turns around and says, Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. So, so the Catholic Church would recognize Peter as the, as the first pope and the one on whom the church was founded. Um, I, I disagree with that. Why? Because Jesus just called Peter a pebble. Hey, I, I, you, you, you little pebble, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to build my church on, on you? No. So here's what I think happens. All right? Give me a little bit of, give me a little bit of leeway here. Here's how this thing, I think this goes. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're, you're a pebble. But on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And it's not because you're so great, Peter. It's not because you have all the gifts and all the abilities. But it's because I'm the perfect, sinless Savior of the world that the gates of hell will not overpower it. And so listen, do do we believe this? Do do we believe that when Jesus says um, that the gates of hell will not overpower my my church, that, that he really meant... The gates of hell will not overpower my church. Do, do we really believe that, that even in a world that says we're irrelevant and backwards, that, that Jesus says, listen, no, there, there's still power to be found in the church, not because it's founded on any person, but because it's found on, founded on him alone. Yes. So then church, focus on the work. Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Focus on the work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to come and to worship you, almighty God. We thank you that we have the promise that that even though the world doesn't understand us and the world uh, in many cases wants to get rid of us, that despite its best attempts over the past 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ is still strong. It's still making an impact in the lives of men and women, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So you help us to not get so bogged down with details of life that we forget to obey your command to make disciples as we go. That we can lead people to, to you. We can plant seeds of the gospel that others might be able to come along and water and ultimately see a harvest of gospel fruit, people turning from their sin to Christ. May we be a place where people are faithful to carry out the work of the gospel. As we follow you, almighty God, and as we link arms with one another. We thank you for the promise that the gates of hell will not overcome your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.